Welcome to Vote the Podcast. If you're feeling overwhelmed or confused or frustrated about voting, or if you just want to be a better resource to your friends, families, and neighbors, then you downloaded the right podcast. We're going to be here all the way until November's election, answering your biggest questions about voting. Because this election isn't just going to be about who we vote for, it's about how we do it. We are the Voting Preppers. Hey, Andrea! I can't believe it. We're on episode three, and this one is crazy. Hi, Kat, and welcome back, listeners. Last episode, we discussed vote by mail and making a personal voting plan. Today, we want to dive into something near and dear to both of us, how to improve voter turnout. So I'm obsessed with this subject, obsessed. Many, many people have stopped talking to me because it's something I never stopped talking about. But the fact is that voter turnout is critical. We focus a lot in this country on voter registration. And yeah, it's absolutely important because in every state except North Dakota, God bless you, North Dakota, we have to register to vote. But the fact is 83% of eligible voters are already registered, but we only have about 50 to 60% average turnout. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And those are the things we have to pay attention to. What happens between registration and actually voting? I founded Spread the Vote because one huge thing that was stopping people from voting was a lack of IDs. There are over 300,000 registered voters in Wisconsin who don't have the ID they need to vote vote. There's more than 200,000 in Virginia. It goes on and on in each state. And it was so clear that it was so difficult for people to get IDs on their own, which any of us who have ever been to the DMV can understand, that I really wanted to start an organization that would help solve at least one of the problems that stop people from going from registering to vote to actually being voters. Andrea, what have you been up to in the last week as if we don't talk five times a day? (laughs) So you know, I'm doing the vote.org thing. And I'm a civics nerd, too, so this week's episode is exciting. I've always had a huge interest in democracy and get-out-the-vote efforts and how we can increase participation in our democracy. So I actually founded an organization called Civic Engagement Fund a few years ago, and our fund was kind of an incubator, not for apps, but for grassroots organizations. We found organizations that were unaffiliated with political parties and empowered people to take action and reach their local officials. So the whole idea was, how do you make government more accessible to the people it seeks to serve? And then I put the experience to work as CEO of Vote.org, where we work to simplify political engagement. So Vote.org helps you verify your registration status. We help you to register to vote. And we also have a lot of peer-to-peer programs across the country where people can encourage their friends and family to vote as well. Basically, it's all about making voting simpler. Today, we have a question coming in from Piper Parabo. Piper Parabo is a Golden Globe-nominated actress. Piper is also an activist superstar who fights for causes she believes in both on and offline and has been an amazing supporter of Spread the Vote, for which we're super grateful. In fact, this year, she's leading our rapid response program, helping us bring attention to the voting emergencies that we know will pop up this year. Hi, this is Piper Parabo, and my question is, what can I or my best friend or my mom or any of us individuals do to get the biggest number of people to turn out to the polls this November 3rd? And I, and I just want to also specify, I want to know what we can do today and then also moving forward. You know, what are the kind of benchmarks as we go along? Because I think everybody wants to help, but they don't know how. Yeah, I was really late 
late to voting. The first time I voted was 08. I was I had never voted before. I didn't really see how it affected my daily life. You know, the presidency seemed like a thing that was so far away. And that was kind of all I ever thought about with voting was the president. And so when Obama ran in 08, I was so excited about him and, and what he stood for in this historic moment. Now I understand how voting kind of affects my daily life. But when I didn't really get it, I was like, oh, yeah, the president wants every four years. So, so many millions of votes. Who cares about mine? Now I get it. Thank you, Piper, for that question. It's something we are all thinking about. Exactly. Everybody from activists to everyday citizens to CEOs, we're all thinking about what can we do just right now? Uh, you know, it's even something that those of us who leave voting rights orgs are thinking about because the world looks really different than what we planned for when we were planning for 2020. So Andrea and I, I mean, first of all, this is a whole reason that we came up with the podcast. Uh, and what we want to do is talk today a little bit about what we can do as everyday Americans. But we also... Because, you know, we love you and we wanted to have like a super amazing guest you would never imagine. So we brought on someone incredible, uh, someone who you don't necessarily think of when you think of somebody who's super crazy about voting, uh, but who has been this super powerhouse lately of really trying to do everything he can uh, with the, the resources that he has, which are incredible, to help make sure that people vote. And that is none other than our very favorite king of celebrity culture. The founder of TMZ, Harvey Levin. Okay, but before we get to our incredible guest, we want to answer Piper's question and discuss the nuts and bolts of what we can do as individuals to actually improve voter turnout. So let's begin. Okay, so voter turnout. What is voter turnout and how can we improve it? We measure voter turnout by the percentage of eligible voters who cast a ballot in an election. So that means voting eligible is not the same thing as the adult population in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is that, you know, we have this voter turnout measurement. Uh, you know, for instance, only 55% of the population voted in November 2016. Uh, but there are a lot of reasons for that. And there that's what we're going to talk about. You know, when we're looking at the voter turnout measurement, the reason it's so low is because we're using the same traditional old school tools and tactics to do voter turnout that we've been using forever. And we're not even trying to get that 45% of people who aren't voting and who don't traditionally vote. And so that's why we miss them. You know, we usually, we do canvassing and we knock on doors. We do phone and text banking. Uh, we, you know, we'll stand in front of grocery stores and register people to vote. We do all of these things and those are all great, but we usually use tools, which we'll talk about in a minute, that are only targeting the same people. And so what we really have to think about is how are we going to get new people uh, into the to the voting booths or now voting by mail by really rethinking outside of the box how are we working on getting people to vote I uh, you know when we also think about like who are really breakout politicians who whether you agree with or not are people who are making a big difference I'm, and representing a different group of people, you can look at AOC. One thing that AOC did is actually over 90% of her electorate were people who were new voters. And the thing that she did that hadn't been done is that they actually built a new tool that specifically, because one thing you may not know uh, and should not know, because hopefully you've never 
you know, you don't know what van is and you've <laughs> never had to use it. But what most uh, progressive campaigns use or Democratic campaigns use and, and Republican campaigns have a different system that's similar is that when you go out and you're canvassing or you're text banking or you're doing something to call candidates, you are using a list of likely voters, people who have voted before, people who we know are voting, which means it's always the same pool. So one thing that AOC's team did is they built a tool specifically to go look for people who had never voted before. And they knocked on doors of people who were not in the system and then they added them to their new system. System. And so the vast majority of people who voted for her were brand new voters, which means that the vast majority of people who voted for her were people who've been underrepresented or unrepresented this whole time. And so when we're looking at who are we seeking to vote for change, right? And this is also why voter suppression exists. It's because the people in power want the same people voting because those are the people who voted for them. So if you want change, you have to vote for new people who want different things. But that means breaking out of the systems that we have right now, where we're only spending money looking for the people who we know are going to vote the way we want us to, because they've done it before, which is a small, small pool of people. And they're mostly white, and they're mostly middle and upper class, and they're mostly 30 or 40 and older. And so like breaking out of that requires really thinking differently about who we're, who we're reaching out to. It's especially important with young people because you know that um, young people don't have a voting history for the most part. So there's not yep. going to be an on-ramp into civic engagement. There's not going to be an on-ramp into um, helping young people to vote. And we do that work at vote.org for this very reason. Um, but we're one organization. And so I think that it becomes really important to think about for the future, how are we on-ramping the next generation of voters in America? And right now, people have to realize that no one's going to invite you to the process. You're not going to you know, just receive something that... Um, is a formal invitation that then helps guide you all the way to the polls on election day. It's something that people are going to have to take on themselves because uh, there are other people who have a vested interest in them not showing up and mm-hmm. not jumping through the hoops and not making it through the process. And I don't think that everybody um, fully realizes that in this country right now. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard. We'll talk a little bit about these barriers in our next episode. But, you know, 77% of Spread the Votes clients have never voted before. And they range from 18 to in midterms. Our oldest client who had never voted before was 79 when she cast her first ballot with us during midterms. And so like the the difference that it makes when you have a vast group of people who have never voted before finally getting to choose who they want means that it's going to look a little different, but it also is a totally different set of tools to get those people out. We at Spread the Vote don't use any of the traditional methods of voter turnout because they don't work for our clients because they're not in this pool of people that were tradi- that are traditionally being looked for. Uh, so it's something that we really have to to think about and something for you to think about when you are looking at who are your friends and family? Who's in your community who have voted before? Or who are like Piper, who was so amazing and like so, so brave and awesome and said like, look, it was 2008 before I voted for the first time. And, you know, who are those folks who, you know, aren't voting? Because there are really, really good reasons not to vote. It's, it's a tough thing. It's difficult to figure out. You know, you have to take time off of work unless you can figure out vote by mail. Like we put a lot of barriers in front of people. So it's not a shameful thing. It shouldn't be a 
a shameful thing if you've never voted before. It's really challenging, but our job is to help people overcome those challenges, help walk them through the vote-by-mail process, help them understand how do you actually find an election guide that you trust so that you can look at the issues or the candidates and say, well, you know, I really trust the Stonewall Democrats or the Sierra Club or, you know, the Log Cabin Republicans or whatever. And so I want to see who they're endorsing because I think that they align with my values. I'm, And, you know, it's up to us to find those people in our groups and all of our social groups. You know, if only 55% of the country is voting, that means half of your friends are not voters. So if you just get... 80% of your friends out to vote, you have made a significant difference in voter turnout. And if we all focus on our communities, if we all got 100% turnout in our communities, that's 100% turnout in the country. And that's what you can focus on is how do I help my community and my friends get to the polls? Totally. And, um, you know, whether you vote or not, it's something people can look up to. So I secretly <laughs> like to tell my friends that and let them know. I, can, I can't I can see who you voted for, but I can I can look up if you voted. Okay. So well, we Andrea is a big fan of vote shaming, but we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least with my friends. Um, but I do think that like – the how how we bring people along. We have a tool at vote.org called Pledge to Register tool, mm-hmm. and that helps people who are underage be able to go ahead, go to the site, put their information in, and then on their 18th birthdays, we send out a text message and lead people through the registration process. Um, ideally, that would be something that's happening, you know, that your local government does or your schools do. And but right now, you're going to have to take it upon yourself to sign up or sign your children or, or your friends up at. Um, at vote.org um, for that. But I think that the long term, the way we reimagine these systems, first, the first step to that is we have to have more people participating in them because we have to build the political will to reimagine how we administer elections in a way that's convenient and easy and lowers barriers to access. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think when we think about what's another thing that you can do today, you know, today you can reach out to your friends and family and say, hey, and particularly if you live in a state where you can vote by mail, uh, which is most states, not Texas, unless you're under 65, sorry. But in, uh, in most states, you can vote by mail and more and more states are opening up voting by mail without an excuse because of COVID. And so you can reach out to your friends and family and say, hey, we're in California or Maine or Alabama, and we can vote by mail without excuse here. And so today, today in July or August, whatever you're listening to this early, why don't you request your absentee ballot? I'll request mine. And then when they come in, we can have a Zoom party break out the tipples, the weekend water is one of my favorite podcasts says, and we can walk through it together and have our own virtual voting party and figure out what it is that we think about the candidates and about the ballot measures together. But go ahead and, and request your ballot early. And the more people who you recommend and encourage to do that, then that's going to both help make sure that more people get their absentee ballots because they're requesting them early and not you know contributing to a last minute rush. But it also means that then you can start planning with them. How are we all going to fill this out together. And another thing you can do today is contact your employer. A lot of companies are reimagining their role in building a healthy and thriving democracy this year. And especially in the middle of a pandemic, I think that it's more important than ever that companies really help employees uh, to have the resources they need to vote. 
At vote.org, we have a campaign called electionday.org, where we believe that no one should have to choose between their paycheck and their vote. And we outline a whole series of policies that you can ask your employer for to make sure that you have a vote-friendly office. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we're putting out, if you haven't noticed, a weekly toolkit. Uh, Look for it on the socials. Um, We will put all of the information for the Election Day Off campaign. uh, And and one more thing, one huge way that you can improve voter turnout is by being a poll worker. Because if you are the reason that another polling place can be open in your city, you are the reason that hundreds of people potentially can vote who wouldn't have been able to vote in person before, who would have had to stand in. You know, we saw lines in Georgia until 1 a.m. to vote. And it's going to be November. It's going to be very difficult for people to do that. And we're still going to have COVID raging. So you can make a huge difference by volunteering to be a poll worker. Bonus, most states pay. Uh, and so it's a, it's also a way to make a little cash. Um, and you they need poll workers through early voting and on election day. So you can usually choose which days work if you can take off from work. There are even weekend opportunities. It's really huge. Go to workelections.com and you can find out all of the requirements to become a poll worker in your state. Throughout the country, companies are reimagining what they're going to do in this moment to make sure that everyone who works for them has the tools and resources and time they need to vote. Today, we'll talk to Harvey Levin about how TMZ became an unlikely advocate to voting orgs in this election cycle. So Harvey's a man of endless surprises, as I've learned and as you will learn right after this break. This show is brought to you by us, Spread the Vote and Vote.org. Sponsors, we're still looking at you. This week's Spread the Vote, I is super excited because, well, this is Thursday. So on Monday, we are uh, announcing a bunch of awesome projects that we are doing um, to help get out the vote and increase voter turnout in as many ways as possible from now to November, uh, including a project we're doing with Vote.org, which we're super excited about, uh, called Vote by Mail in Jail, uh, in which we are working with hundreds of jails across the country uh, on the biggest national vote voting in jail effort ever in the history of ever, as far as we could find, uh, to help eligible inmates, of which there are hundreds of thousands, if not more around the country, vote while they're incarcerated. So we've been working on that for months. Uh, We're finally getting it started uh, this week and announcing it. And we're really, really excited about that. So uh, check out our socials to find out more. So this week at Vote.org, we're excited to team up with Spread the Vote. We're also working hard on our election day off initiative. So if you go to electionday.org and look through the vote friendly policies and you can sign up to petition your company to be a vote friendly company. I know that was a lot, but you can find all of those links and more information in the show notes. Today we'll be speaking with Harvey Levin, television producer, legal analyst, celebrity reporter, and lawyer. He's also the founder of the celebrity news site and website, TMZ. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. So earlier this year, Harvey and I were introduced um, in my role as CEO of Vote.org. Friends introduced us um, because Harvey wanted to undertake a new project, and that was to make sure that readers of TMZ were voting. 
And so um, the first discussion that we had, you know, I was thinking of, okay, we'll get this set up, we'll get it going. And Harvey was like, no, we're going to do it now. We're going to get it done. And I was so excited. And so today I wanted to talk to Harvey a little bit about, um, you know, kind of why the idea struck you and, um, you know, how you personally feel and how you came to this moment and decided to go ahead and use the TMZ platform to help readers get the information they need to have their voice heard. Wow. <laughs> um, so in, in many ways, when I called you, I called from a, um, from a position of ignorance. You know, when, when, when George Floyd was killed, um, it made everybody think. But I, I hope it made everybody rethink. And it certainly made me rethink that when, I, when that happened, I started just connecting dots that I don't think I really did before. And what I realized was that there has been a cry for reform and help for decades. And I think a lot of white people, for two reasons, especially white people my age, didn't understand it. They, they didn't understand it because, you know, we, we learned in high school that slavery ended in 1865. And that was the end of the story, the way it was taught in public schools. They taught us a lie. They never taught us the real story about race relations. And, you know, and, and it, it really struck me that that was the case when I started thinking about George Floyd and everything else. But also, you know, it, 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 just, it just hit me that what we need to do is educate ourselves before we can figure out, you know, how to help other people. So honestly, what I've been doing every weekend, I've nothing but reading books. And I've read Bakari Sellers' book. I've read um, Dale Hughley's book. I've read Kimberly Jones's book. And I'm trying to understand I'm trying to understand what it is that I missed in high school. And it's so much the idea that, you know, that race, that, that racism got cured with the 1964 civil rights bill is ridiculous. White people were taught that, but it was not the case because people didn't abide by it. So all of a sudden we're relearning all this stuff and it's like coming over us like waves. And I, I was utterly ignorant. And when I called you, I just thought to myself, we got to do things quickly and and I'm ignorant. <laughs> and that at the same time, there's no doubt that voting is going to be the key to everything right now. It's going to be the key to our future and maybe the key to our demise if things don't go well. You know, as a CEO and leader, uh, for people who are working in different companies across the country, um, what could they be doing to encourage leadership in this moment? Well, I mean, I, I honestly believe that the first thing every CEO needs to do is to educate themselves. And maybe a lot of them are. I certainly wasn't. But I think you've got to educate yourselves to really understand. Because honestly, I feel, a, a, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. To me, when people talked about reparations, I always thought, well, wait a minute, reparations is about what happened during slavery. And it seemed like there was a big disconnect. And I never really understood the argument about reparations. Today, my feeling about reparations is that it's not about what happened 100 years ago. It's what happened this morning, that this never went away. And when you see that and understand it, I think it creates a passion and an urgency um, that 
you know, get spiked because that all of a sudden you're seeing things you never saw before. And it just seems to me that any CEO, you got to understand, you, you got to read before you can act. Um, so we also hear from a lot of employees who want to be the ones to lobby their employers to start voting initiatives. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you think employees can do that and how you think that uh, you know, TMZ benefits from a business perspective from your pro-voting initiatives? Well, I mean, look, I think, you know, we have a lot of young people working for at TMZ and, you know, <laughs> you know, people talk about millennials as, you know, being entitled and everything else. And, you know, there are good things and bad things about millennials. To me, the best thing about millennials is they are socially conscious. And I think that is a really critical point. And old guys like me need to acknowledge that, that there are young people working who want to make part of their lives doing good for the community. I mean, one, one of the things we're going to do at TMZ is we have told the staff now that, um, they are going to get five days a week in addition to their vacation days. We're going to give them an additional five days. And for those five days, we're going to pay them to go out and do good work in the community. Oh, that's awesome. And wow. we're doing that with our 300 employees, close to 300. And, you know, that's going to be one of our ways of trying to do good things. And that's why I, I just am so passionate that we want to do whatever we can. And that's why we're taking over the website uh, on a fairly regular basis that when you go to our website uh, from time to time, you're going to see it completely skinned. Uh, thanks to you guys, the vote.org people, where you will see that people can easily register to vote by just clicking at TMZ.com. And we're also, you know, we're talking about this on our television shows. We're doing it on social. So I, I just think it's so important. Amen to that. Preach. Yes. You know, that actually, it makes me think of something, you know, because I think, well, I know being a millennial that one of the ways that employers and corporations have tried to uh, entice people to come work with them is with wellness programs. You know, when you're, you're doing this sort of amazing thing where you're saying, all right, along with your vacation days, we're giving you all of this time to volunteer, which I think really speaks to wellness, wellness of the soul and really feeling like people are able to have an impact. Do you think that that can be part of a wellness program that might even help you keep your employees, uh, you know, longer and keep them happier? I hope so. I mean, th these are such weird times that I hope that's the case. And, you know, one of the things that we thought about is that when we're telling people to do this, I think it makes people feel good when they help other people. I just think we're at a time when everybody needs to step in and, you know, and, and do something to help. And, you know, and I think a lot of others are doing it now, too. I mean, I think we're in the same, we're in a pack of, you know, a big pack of companies that are, tr are, are finding their way and trying to, to help. And it, and, it, and it should be stylized for each company. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And I know you guys have seen that. And you saw it when we, you were working with us in working on how to do the Get Out the Vote campaign on TMZ, that it's not the same everywhere. And you stylize it. So we've seen lots of celebrities this year um, becoming increasingly engaged. What are some of the lessons that um, you think that we can learn around celebrity engagement and, and um, initiatives, you know, successful initiatives? Well, I mean, when you look at the all-in challenge with the, that Michael Rubin created, which is 
just remarkable. And I believe he raised upwards of $60 million for people who are really suffering right now. And celebrities literally were all in. And I really, you know, it, it just, it really touched me because I really feel like there were so many uh, people who joined that challenge who didn't do it for publicity to say, attaboy, look at what you did. They really wanted to do it. But I think a lot of people have inspired a lot of other people. I got inspired by a lot of people who were working on the All In Challenge. And, you know, and I just think, you know, everybody needs to find their own way of doing something good. That's totally right. I think that, you know, so many people are trying to process this moment um, and there's a little bit of, um, you know, cognitive uh, overload at times. But the most important thing is to um, is to get involved because it's going to take, um, you know, a collective effort to make sure that we have a healthy and thriving democracy um, and that everyone can participate in it. Yeah. And, you know, and and, and I will say that that it's also a necessity right now because, you know, for me at least, you know, I believe the science that we may only have nine years or so to correct climate change or it may be irreversible. So there is so much at stake right now. And that's why when we started talking and we were talking about, okay, there'll be a process. It's like, no, we got to do this right now (laughs) because things are really, we're in trouble right now uh, on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and, I lived through 1968. I was 18 years old and 19 years old in 1968. And I always thought that would be the worst year of my life. When Martin Luther King was assassinated, we had riots. Robert Kennedy was assassinated, who was my hero. Mm -hmm. Um, The convention, the Democratic convention was a disaster. The Vietnam War was raging. Richard Nixon got elected. I never thought there would be a year that would be more challenging and worse. But here it is. I wish every CEO had your fire um, because that I'm just, I think that the reason why in that conversation, I was a little, it was because so many people, you have to work with them to get them to that place where it's like, no, this is not a fire drill. This is happening now. And we all have to imagine um, what our part in it is to make sure that in the middle of a pandemic, people, you know, don't have to choose between their health and their democracy and that um, they know have the tools at, in hand to know um, how to participate. And, you know, I know that we're seeing examples of people and corporations realizing they need to make changes. So, you know, we saw Netflix address the black wealth gap by investing $100 million into uh, black banks and Sephora embracing the 15% challenge, et cetera. Are you seeing just in your conversations with other CEOs that uh, that people are either getting it on a, on a level like you've gotten it where they're like, okay, I just need to like be part of changing the world or that they're at least seeing that there are business consequences if they don't? Every single person in business who's running a company sees there are consequences. Mm-hmm. Every person sees that now. And now the issue is what do you do? It's a little overwhelming for a lot of companies because there's so much that you think about it that, you know, people running companies right now, they're not just looking at what can we do to make the world a better place. They're trying to keep their businesses alive. And it's a struggle for everybody. You know, there are a lot of challenges facing businesses. Mm-hmm. So it's not as easy as saying, hey, focus on this, because now they're focusing on 20 things. But I think that we are really on the precipice of a sea change with companies across the country. And I think you're going to see a measure of social consciousness in companies that you haven't seen before. 
And, you know, I look back and I have regrets. I wish I would have learned some of this stuff a lot earlier and done some of these things a lot earlier and educated myself a lot earlier. I mean, I have a lot of regrets about this because on a level now, I'm looking at this and so much of it seemed to be right before my very eyes and I didn't really understand it. I want to tell you something that really brought me, it, it, it choked me up. Um, D.L. Hughley's book is a masterpiece. And there's a part in the book where he talks about Cecil the Lion. I don't know if you folks remember, but a dentist shot Cecil the Lion, yeah. this magnificent oh, I do. creature. Yeah. It created a just a firestorm of anger and controversy. And the way D.L. saw it was white people just went crazy. And it, I did. I just couldn't believe that something like this could happen. And, and, and he stated it so simply. He said, you know, when Cecil the lion was killed and there was this kind of white outrage, another lion was never killed like that again. Why didn't white people feel the same way about black mm. people getting killed? End of chapter. And I sat there and looked at a blank page and it choked me up because he was right. Because he was right. Why? And I don't have a good answer to that. But I do now. Um, I think that was well, well stated and, and very true and um, a collective experience a lot of people ha are having. And I think actually one of the most hopeful things about this moment is that, you know, the protest moment, we did see people coming together of all backgrounds, all types of people out in the streets um, together and, and really seeing some of the brutality and things for what, you know, what it really was and reacting accordingly. And that honestly gives me hope. You know, I'm a, a, kid, a child of the 60s and young people changed the world back then. We ended the Vietnam War. I haven't seen that again until now. And I think there should be a lot of hope that young people can make that difference and push older people into 2020. And I think they're doing that. TMZ has a, a huge audience, the, the biggest audience probably of anything and anybody because everybody's fascinated with celebrities. But if you could say you know, one thing to them to help them understand why it's so important that even in the midst of multiple apocalypses, even though it's going to be more difficult uh, than possibly ever, like why it is so critical for them to vote this year, what would you say to them? Well, what I would say is this. So there's only one answer to that, and that is what vote.org is doing. It is simple as that, that everybody realizes leaders make a difference. And when you look at what has happened with coronavirus, look at look at what's happened. That all of a sudden, you know, not a lot of people who didn't live in New York didn't know much about Governor Cuomo. They do now. A lot of people didn't know uh, what a remarkable man Anthony Fauci is. I have you know followed Anthony Fauci since the AIDS epidemic in the eighties, and he is a remarkable human being. And I think he's emerged as a leader leaders have emerged from this. And you can see they make a difference. Well, if they make a difference, elect the people you like to make that difference. It's really that simple. This is not a high concept. It's you want you like certain leaders and dislike others. You have the power. <laughs> the power is just go to vote.org. Vote. Register. You don't have to go to the polls. You can do it by absentee ballot. You can do it by mail-in. 
You can do it if you want to go to the polls. It's so easy. And that's how we change the world. And it's certainly how we change America. Amazing. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for your work. And thank you for your activism for voting and um, for really, you know, kind of stepping in the ring and doing so bravely. Well, again, I don't see it as bravely. (laughs) Honestly, it's not. And, you know, look, we've made missteps. We have, you know, I've, you know, I I have regrets, but we're, we're, we want to turn things around as much as we can. It's not an issue of bravery. This is just what everybody needs to do. Thank you so much, Harvey. This was amazing. Thank you. So Kat, what have we learned? Oh my gosh, we've learned so much. So first of all, we've learned there are a lot of things that you can be doing today, right now, right the second, as soon as this podcast ends in about, I don't know, 25 seconds to help get out the vote this November. You can make sure that your friends and family have requested their absentee ballots. You can go ahead and just schedule an online voting party now. You can go to workelections.com to uh, try to be a poll worker, and you can go to electionday.org org to find all sorts of resources to help make sure that your employer is giving everybody in your office the day off to vote. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be answering your biggest and most pressing voting questions all the way up until the election. To learn more about what's happening at vote.org, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And you can visit at Spread the Vote US on all the socials um, and follow Vote the Podcast on Instagram at, at Vote the Pod. Here at Vote the Podcast, we'll be discussing voting all the way to November. So if you have a question you want us to address on the show, write us at votethepodcast at gmail.com or call and leave us a message at the number in the show notes. Subscribe and hey, be a good neighbor. Leave us a review, preferably five stars. That's all. Have a nice day.